Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For 35 years, Cindy Stumpo has been a female home builder with a passion for design, a mastery of detail, and a commitment to her craft. With daughter Samantha Stumpo by her side. I don't need my whole family on a date with me. That's a good thing. No, it's goddamn weird. See, Stumpo Development is the only second-generation female construction company in the country. You're crazy. You're a wacko. You're insane. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't end. Together, Cindy and Samantha welcome guests to explore the world of construction, real estate development, design, and more. You're unpredictable. Every time I think I know what you want, you switch it up. But that's what makes your houses all unique. They discuss anything that happens between the roof and the foundation. Nothing is off limits. I, you truly do care about everybody. She can yell and she can scream, but when you get her alone, she's the best person on the planet. Cindy Stumpo is tough as nails. Welcome to Cindy Stumpo as Tough as Nails. I'm clearly not Cindy Stumpo on WBZ News Radio 1030. I'm Samantha Stumpo here with Char Manning from the Cindy Stumpo development team and part of our family. She's now stuck with us, even though she tried to ghost us. That didn't happen. <laughs> our topic tonight is what is mindfulness? I actually don't really know what that means. Me but either. we are here with Megan Kenny, our mind guru who has spent the better half of a decade in school to talk about the brain. And I think we still don't know about the brain, but we're going to listen to Megan because she knows more than we do. You know, the research actually says we only we only know about 10% of how the brain, like what the 10% of the brain that actually matters and everything that we do. So, yeah, we're probably so not going to answer all those questions. So you spend a decade in school to know 10% of the brain. Yes, ma'am. That's a Can lot of money wasted on that? 10% of the brain. <laughs> I have to say, part of the... Part of the area that I study takes it beyond that 10%, which is why it's so big for people. It's called depth psychology or transpersonal psychology. It's like we're going Yeah, over my paper. What is mindfulness? What is mindfulness? Because all I'm thinking about is sitting in a yoga room, like meditating. Right. Exactly. So it is, you can use mindfulness as a form of meditation, but there's a little bit of a difference. Mindfulness in and of itself It's just the ability to pause and pay attention to the moment-by-moment experience that you are having, whether it's your thoughts, your feelings, or physical sensations in the body. And you're trying to do it without being judgmental to yourself. So it's just about really just taking the pause and notice what's going on. And sometimes we'll even pull in techniques to bring online your five senses. So it's like, What does it feel like to sit in this chair right now? What does it feel like to breathe in and out? What smells am I noticing right now? What can I focus on with my own eyes to actually give my attention to? Um, Sensations in the body. Am I feeling pain? Am I feeling tension? Am I feeling anxiety? If so, what part of the body? Is it the chest? Is it the heart? Is it the lungs? Is it the gut? All of these things bring us into a mindful state. So think about it like this. I always have this like image. I have this on my website, actually. So that's a very long time ago when I was working in a treatment center. And in the group room, there was a little poster that was up on the wall. And it had two people. Well, actually, I don't even think it had two people. I think it had one little stick figure. And it had the to- two talk bubbles that went up next to the person's head. 
in one bubble said mindful, F-U-L-L, with the question mark, with all of these things in the bubble. And the other bubble said mindful, F-U-L, with one L, with the question mark, and the bubble was empty. So it's this idea of coming into an empty stillness without all of the chaos of our thoughts and feelings that make us mindful as opposed to having our mind full with all kinds of crap, if that makes sense. So mindfulness, it, it's an inward thing. It's, it has nothing to do with those around, you know, or outwardly. It's inward. Your mind, what's happening in the present with oneself. 100%. And so even when I turn this into a meditation for people, I will say, number one, let's pause, take a deep breath, and now disconnect your attention from the outside world bring it into the inner landscape and let's start the process. And that is the first step of mindfulness, tuning your attention with intention. So really with a goal here, you're actively doing something, taking your attention from outside and all the other things that you have to do today and next week. Uh, uh-uh, None of that matters right now. We're pausing and we're bringing the attention to the inner world and the inner landscape. And we're just paying attention second by second. What is happening? So why is mindfulness important? Well, I think in the world that we live in, in the demands that we have on us as entrepreneurs and parents and partners and friends and teachers, whatever, whatever our role is in this, in this world or the many roles that we serve, it's really easy to get disconnected from a mindful presence. Mm-hmm. And so what better way to manage mental health issues and to kind of just put a pause it, other than to be mindful. And so I think it has so many different benefits, not just I think, and the research backs this up too, but there are so many benefits to just pausing and getting into the present moment that we lose sight of when we're in the rat race of the day-to-day kind of productivity. So it has a massive amount of benefits in all different ways, mental health and physical, on the physical body. They have been able to measure changes in the physical body when people are in a mindful state that is remarkable. So this is like your capacity to heal yourself, really. Mm -hmm. Do you think another person can make you mindfulness, even though that's a weird way to say it? Can anybody else make you well, I, mindful? Like, like I, I sometimes think with my mom's in a state of panic, and if she sees mm-hmm. me, her reaction of her own body and brain change. And bring her back, yeah. Yeah, so that's called co-regulation, what you're talking about, Sam, and that's with being able to get co-regulated by somebody else's presence. So if you are in the presence of somebody who is still, this is why I have to meditate before each client that I see. I do my incense. I do my I little ritual. I, I, I think you need a lot of things. Like you need to cleanse your soul before every client. <laughs> yeah, no, but, no, but like really, you don't like want that's that negative energy like to stay. Right. Exactly. And I can't go into a session with somebody and help co-regulate them if they're in a state of anxiety or they're fearful to kind of do the work that I'm trying to bring them into. I have to be really grounded and I have to be really stable and I can't be distracted by what I have to eat today or what bill I have to pay later or what report I have to write tomorrow. None of that matters because I, as the therapist, need to serve as that anchor for that person so they can let go of the anxious feeling panic, worry, fears, whatever, that they're coming into session with. So I will often start a session with a mindfulness technique or a meditation to help bring everybody down and release that stuff so it's not interfering. Because to your point, yeah, when your mom's having a panic attack, if you can be the grounded one and help co-regulate her nervous system, 
you are bringing her into a mindful moment if you do stuff like pay attention to your breath. Well, I don't consider myself to have a lot of panic and anxiety like my mom can things make me anxious, sure. But there's only been a couple people that when I'm around, the rest of the world doesn't matter. It makes me like, like I could forget about the entire world when I'm around them. That's an important person to have in your life. It's only been with two people. Right. Yep. It's funny. I had that experience when I rode horses through, uh, throughout, well, I was like nine or something when I started up until probably about 18. And I always reflected on the fact that every time I left the barn, it, this is when it would hit me. I would be going to my car and I'd be like, I didn't even think about all, cause they would all start, all the problems mm-hmm. of my life would start coming back in that moment. And I would say for the last four hours that I've been here, I haven't even thought about these things, nor have I tried to not think about them. So there are exercises, techniques, activities that you can do that create that exact thing that you're talking about, Sam, where you just, you're just like, wow, I'm like totally not distracted by all this other stuff. I'm like in the moment. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. Not at all. But as you're saying, though, there can be a person or a place or an activity, a thing that brings you back to being mindful. That's why I go to yoga every day. It's the one hour of my day when no one can find me. I'm not going to tell you what I do. I know. Back yeah. to be in my <laughs> I know. We all do that, sure. But anywho. <laughs> and everybody doesn't, it's stupid. <laughs> yeah. But nature, nature is a great way to get mindful. Getting yourself out in nature, taking your shoes off, getting barefoot, stepping in the grass or the sand or the dirt. You're actually connecting to something that doesn't worry about all of this stuff out here. And that alone can actually change your, your physiology, just being out in nature and like taking a deep breath of fresh air. And it's like you're on a mountaintop hiking or whatever. It's like, whoa, wow, this is like a major aspect of life that I have lost sight of when I'm stuck at my computer responding to emails and getting all these things done or whatever. So hold that thought. I'm Samantha Stump when you're listening to Tough As Nails on WBZ News Radio 1030. Sponsored by Floor and Decor, National Lumber and Village Bank. Radio 1030. I'm Samantha Stumpo here with Charmaine. And tonight's topic is what is mindfulness with Megan Kenny. I have a question for you, Mrs. Oh, Megan. you sound like Cindy. I have a question. Just ask the audience. <laughs> <question. laughs> okay, yeah, C. Stumpo Jr. Um, <laughs> why do you think so many people are resistant to mindfulness? You know, they're like, oh, I don't need to do anything inward. I need to go see somebody. I need some medication. Because they don't have control. Oh, Shut that right on up. Is that right? <laughs> You're just nodding your That's head. Part of it, that it, they fear not having any control. So think about people that can't have, that can't be alone. It drives them insane mm. to just be alone. My mother. They can't. They can't be still. My mother. Because they're uncomfortable with the stillness. Right. My mother. So like, maybe. <laughs> be careful. Megan. But at the same time. But at the same time, it allows us to be really productive to also avoid being mindful because then we're the great employee, we're the great CEO, we're this, we're that. But what at what cost? And so to answer your question, Char, about who resists being mindful, typically it's people that don't want to be with themselves, that being alone and trying to find stillness in themselves is actually scary. really uncomfortable. It's very scary. 
a, you feel rest. People can feel restless. They're like, eh, I don't know what to do with myself. I need a distraction. So it's people that are, are sort of addicted to the distraction and the avoidance patterns of their life that get them out of themselves, which means get them out of a mindful state. So coming back in is not that much fun for those types of people. And people that have had a trauma where the body has been uh, an unsafe place to get back into the body, which is what you do with mindfulness, if the body is a threatening place because you've experienced some sort of physical violation or trauma, it's not, a, it's not an easy thing to do. It's really not because you now have to develop a trusting relationship that getting back into my body is a safe thing to do. And so that's why a lot of this is helpful for people that are trying to recover from trauma, all, all different kinds. COVID played a huge part in that, too. I mean, there's a question here that one may ask, how mm-hmm. does mindfulness help with panic attacks? But I kind of think it might cause them. Um, Well, if someone's afraid to, like, work on their inner selves and then that might throw them into a panic? They're being alone with their thoughts. That could be a scary place for somebody. It it very well could, but I think the benefit is that as soon as you turn your attention inward, you're already doing this practice that's called the somatic practice, which is body-based. Now, as an integrative practitioner, I don't believe in the Western medicine model that says your brain and your body are like the sep- these separate things. Like we're going to look at your biology and treat that as if it doesn't belong to this whole system of who you are as a human, human being. So I go mind, body, soul with mm-hmm. my approach. And so I'm looking at, okay, if you get back into the body and that triggers some sort of discomfort, chances are it's not going to I mean, it depends. It depends on what kind of kind of container you're in and who you're working with. But it shouldn't allow you to go to the extreme of the panic attack because you're in the body, which means now the body is doing a job, which naturally starts to slow down the process of the mind, which is what is responsible for the panic attack in the first place. So getting into the body shouldn't trigger a full-blown panic attack because you're naturally starting to calm down by doing it alone, just your physiology. However, it can be really uncomfortable. And so you do need to kind of do this with support if that, if you've kind of fall into that category. So what are some mindful tech, mindfulness techniques for someone who has panic attacks, i.e. my mom? Well, so Sam, let me ask you this. Okay, you're dri- you're in the car and you're driving with your mom, and all of a sudden a panic attack doesn't starts. usually happen when I'm in the car. Usually happens when she's by herself. When she's by herself, and that it doesn't happen when you're with her ever. Not as much happens when I'm with her. <laughs> Sometimes I mean she can say she feels them coming on, but they happen more when she's, she's alone by herself, right? And certain so, things so, trigger so the, them. The, the, yeah, and, and especially the fear of, like, I'm alone in this, and what am I going to do? What are some I'm things die, that she does? I'm going to die, but you actually die. <laughs> oh, exactly. But what do you advise her to do? Like, if she calls you and she's like, I'm having a panic attack, what's the first thing you tell her to do? I ask her where she is. Ask her, okay, so you're orienting her to time and space. What do you, what do you recommend because if she I, does? Because if I, I, like, I tell her you're not going to die, she goes, how do you know I'm not going to die, Sammy, this time? And I was like, because you've never died, actually, Mom. And she's telling me that she's cutting off somebody at a red light at this point, and I'm trying to find her on GPS because if I'm behind her, then she's usually okay and can work herself out of it. Mm-hmm. But if, but if I'm not, if if she needs me to, sometimes it's bad enough where she wants me to pull over and drive physically drive her car. Has anybody ever said to her, just pause and take a deep breath? 
Good luck. Just breathe. Good effing luck. Because those are the let like, calm down. You're not dying. Pause and take a breath. The last <laughs> few words. I kind of just let her hear. talk. And I'm like, okay, mom, I'm right here. Nothing's right. really going to happen. Right. You're you're not going to die. I mean, you might, someone might hit you in a car, but you're not going to actually die from this actual panic attack. But it's something that triggers her that makes her brain go into that situation. It's like an aura. But usually yeah. if she, but sometimes totally. if she's on the phone, she's fine. It depends on the day and what time of day and if she's eaten, if she hasn't eaten. She triggers totally. them herself a lot. Well, and I, there's so many different factors that will play into why a, a panic attack gets triggered. But I think to your point, just simply now, you might just be doing it because you're like, I'm, a, I'm, you know, concerned about my mom and I want to know where well, she I is. Well, I automatically but, know that at this point that when she calls that there's a problem or she'll text me panic attack. And I'm like, OK, Colin. Yep. And so by you just asking her where she is brings her out of that panic state. She has to get regrounded back in. Now she's using her analytical left brain to ground her back down to say, where am I? Time and space. You people, Nurses measure for this when you go into the emergency room. Mm-hmm. They have a little code they'll, they'll put in your chart that says person has been oriented to time and space. That means they're here. They're with me. They're not delusional. They're in this reality, not another one, and they're grounded enough to have a conversation with me. So that's actually a really important thing to, to just ask somebody, where are you? What do you see when you look around? Like, what, you know, what space are you in right now? The best way to start getting mindful is breathing. And so um, for somebody that suffers with panic attacks, breath is a scary thing because usually they're hyperventilating, which means like I've You'd lost almost have to trick her into breath. breathing. You can't tell her breathe. You'd have to trick her into doing it. Right. So how do you do that? Well, you just say, okay, let's pause and see if you can get your chest as big as it'll go and as low as it'll go. My belly. See if I can get it as big as I can go and as low as I Next can time go. Next panic attack, I'm going to get you on the phone and you tell her to see how she listens. Yeah, well, and but, but by the way, let me just preface this by saying when somebody is in that full-blown space of panic, meditation, mindfulness, none of this stuff is this like going to penetrate. <laughs> right. Yeah, so the point is to practice these when you're not in a full-blown panic so that they actually work when you do get there. One and two, you can start preventing them in their frequency and in their intensity but breathing is the easiest thing to do so like a lot of times I'll notice that I'm anxious when I'm driving for example and I'll notice how often I'm sighing so I'm like if I notice a pattern in which Mm -hmm. I'm sighing it means I'm holding my breath so now I'm driving and I'm telling myself once I notice it I'm driving I'm like breathe in for four hold breathe out for four and I'm literally, I'm not, I keep telling myself, breathe, 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 breathe. And I'm only focusing on my breath, which means, yeah, I'm driving and I'm capable of doing it. Although there's a risk, I think, to doing the stuff while you're actually driving. But nonetheless, you can still do it Sounds to bring like yourself you'd be back very, to the present. Right. Distracted. But it takes like that <laughs> split second to induce the panic because the moment you think, oh, crap. Like on one hand, you're like, okay, I'm breathing because I know what's about to take place. And on the other hand, you're like, wait a minute, I'm about to have a panic attack. I don't know what that's like. It ain't cool. The fear. <laughs> yeah, the fear. But, basically, but sometimes what I happens think that I don't mind. know what that's like because she's always like that, that I don't get the chance to let my body be that way. Yeah. So as much as it sucks for my mom, I think it saves me from having them. That's a good, that's I a good could go 
that Sam, you're hitting on like the trippiest part of energy medicine right there when other people hold patterns for us. Yeah, that's like a whole other conversation. Thing. You're hitting on a yeah, but you're hitting on like the trippiest part of information that I will probably give somebody in a session where they're just like, what? Is that possible? Yeah, I think you're probably 100% right. You, if your mom didn't hold that, and some, you might hold that pattern. You know what I mean? If, it, if it's an energetic pattern that's part of a family system or whatever, someone's got to hold it. Hold that thought. I'm Samantha Stumper. You're listening to Tough as Nails on WBZ News Radio 10. Sponsored by Pella Windows of Boston, Next Day Molding, and Kennedy Carpet. Welcome back to Tough as Nails on WBZ News Radio 1030. I'm Smith Stempo here with Char Manning. Tonight's topic, what is mindfulness with Megan Kenny? I've never actually yes, told ma'am. my mom that before, that maybe I don't have them because I watch her have them all the time. And I think that Chad may have them, but he doesn't see them as often as I've seen them since a baby. Do you think that you don't tell her that out of one fear of her feeling as if she has you in a bad position. I don't want her to feel guilty. I, right. But, I mean, I've just never said that out loud until today, to be honest. But I've always just, like, anytime she's had them, it's been fight or flight for me that I just have to go there and be that person. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes it yeah. better for everybody else around me when they're like that. I get it. I understand it. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a, that's a whole different conversation, like, especially, like, in friendship and everything else, you know, yeah. that comes with things because that's a big responsibility. And some people can take that as, you know, you're my safety net. I need you. And a, a response can come out of it that most people don't like is that I can, that's a big responsibility. I don't know how to accept that. I can't be that. But I feel bad for saying that to you. So I have to do it. It's a lot that that can come with panic within itself. So that's a lot. Yeah. That's the, but that's the rescuer archetype. That's one of the primary patterns that exist in the human mind that shows up as behavior is like, are we somebody's rescuer in our lifetime? And what does, what does it feel like to even be that? But yeah, that's like, we could do a whole, I mean, archetypes is like a word that people are saying these days, but it's, we could do a whole series on that of what you're describing. I think, I think it is, it is a major piece though. And I think for somebody that suffers with panic, um, what happens is, is the thought gets triggered or the body sensation might even get triggered first, and then it's rapid fire for the sequence of events to take place. The reason why mindfulness is helpful for somebody with a panic attack uh, disorder, for example, is it starts to slow that down. How fast do our thoughts move to our feelings, move into a behavior, and it's rapid fire, which is why it, get, it catches off, us off guard. But if we can be mindful and attuned to the present moment, we can actually interrupt that the speed of that sequence and we can start slowing it down and putting space between the thoughts, behaviors and feelings. And that's when we start to get control again over our internal state where it doesn't turn into this, for example, panic. Steve. I'm I'm just thinking about how I've never had a panic attack, you know, and I I don't exactly know what my mom feels all the time, Mm -hmm. but I know how to respond to how she feels. Like um, when I was first diagnosed with the seizure disorder that I have, they termed it as epilepsy at first and then they went on to pseudo seizures. 
And in the in the minute of the aura coming on, I run and I hide because it's like on uh, one feeling is I'm embarrassed that this is happening and I'm about to have to co-depend on someone else where they may not want me to depend on them. Then on the other hand, it's like I can stop it. Like I feel like I induce majority of them because I'm panicking and I'm pushing myself in a deeper panic. But I need to get through the panic in order to feel better. So it's so many pieces that go that goes into the puzzle. And it's just like a never ending cycle. But it's crazy and it doesn't feel good. And in the midst of it, when some people just don't understand it, you know, you've never experienced it. So you don't know what it feels like, but it doesn't feel good. And it's a sucky feeling. And for people that don't understand it, they can gaslight unintentionally you know like you're not feeling anything you're not dying well I think I'm god dang dying <laughs> you know so I don't yeah. know how to explain it it's what well, the difference crazy. between someone like gaslighting it and someone being sympathetic there is a difference that is, there is a difference like I don't ever yell at my mom and be like you're not going to die this time right. like I think my brother has less patience with her than that mm-hmm. you know but I've watched her literally like freeze up and not be able to move you know right he's only ever seen that a couple of times to be honest like really 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 bad triggering ones but I've watched that since I've, I, I think I remember that You've more than I remember. it a lot. Right. Yeah. It's good that you can Which, empathize, though. Yeah, and think about that just from a skill perspective. I mean, you're somebody that can go into a crisis and stay stable. That's like an invaluable skill to have uh, for all sorts of reasons. But so you've like transmuted somehow this energy and it doesn't affect you. So you can be still in the presence of somebody who is kind of spiraling. And that's a huge, that's a benefit to that person. It's a benefit to you to know that you have this skill that people spend tons of money to learn how to build and practice of like, how do I stay still in the middle of a crisis, keep my wits about me and be able to provide resources to the people around me that need it. I mean, that's major. There's There's that thing. It's not like an astrological thing, but it like tells you what you are or something. And like my thing came out as like a problem solver. I forget what it's called. Do you know what I'm talking about, Megan? You are a problem solver. You're a mediator. But, but what is that? What is that thing called though? That like I like signed up and did, and I put my birthday and all these things, and it like spit it out like what it is for you, and you can see all these different types it's, of like. Th- there's a few different ones. The one that I don't enneagram is not it because it puts you as a number, but it is like an enneagram because it's a different. It's a cluster of kind of like personality traits. I would describe that as like so. Carolyn Mace does this work on a spiritual level and she would call that an archetype and that is the problem solver archetype that is the pattern that shows up as a person when I can say that person is a problem solver I'm a problem solver okay well well I must know what traits go into being a problem solver because they happen all the time for the person that fits that description so that's a pattern which means it's a an archetype, which means we can identify it. So there's like, Oh, it's called a human design chart. That's what it is. A human design chart. You know, it's funny. A client actually brought that into a session a couple weeks ago and showed it to me. And I was like, wow. And I've been meaning to dig into it more. I've heard this a couple times now. this human design. It was pretty on point. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I believe it. It's pretty cool. I think I want to do it. You should do it. Yeah, 100%. I think the other thing, too, is like just knowing that there are physiological changes that are going on in the body when you practice mindfulness. And yes, it is a practice. And I encourage people to try it and to not take on too much. And so I always joke and say, do you go to the bathroom during the day? 
Yes, you do. Okay. How long are you in there for? Um, 30 seconds, up to five minutes. Maybe, maybe I really need a break and I'm just staying in there longer. So I'm in there for 10 minutes. Okay. That's time by yourself that you can practice a mindfulness technique right here, right now. Do a body scan. Close your eyes, start at the top of your head, move your attention all the way down the body until you get to your feet, and as you go down along the way, just notice if there's any tension or pain in the body. That puts you into a mindful state. Pay attention, put, put a Jolly Rancher in your mouth and ask yourself, what does this taste like? What does this feel like? What's the texture? That's mindful eating. Breathe. Pay attention to your breath. Just focus on what it feels like bringing the breath in and releasing the breath through the mouth. That's a mindful technique. You can reduce your heart rate. You can lower your blood pressure. I know people that have cured, and yes, I am saying cured. I'm going that far. Cured their heart murmurs and issues with their thyroid to the point where they now go to the doctor and get the scans, and the doctor is gaslighting them, telling them they don't have the heart murmur that they were born with. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, doc, I meditate. I do this thing called mindfulness. It's, it's really real, and I've seen it be measured by the tools that we have in Western medicine that shows that this actually has an impact. It, certainly it reduces can't hurt. chronic pain. It certainly can't hurt No, it you. definitely can't hurt. It definitely cannot hurt. It definitely, and I mean, it's just, it's useful. Not that, now, keep in mind, we're in a quick fix society, which is why we have so many prescription pills out here, okay? Everyone's on a medication. Why? Because the intensity of what we might feel might be too much to go and use a technique like this because this requires too much work. We're like, we need the quick fix now. It's like desperation. We need to try to find a way to kind of like slow that down a little bit and just see if there's any other resources that we can use that we can dedicate some time and practice to knowing that they're not going to be as quick of a fix as like taking a pill. So so I I think I just want to make that distinction that this does require a commitment and you're not going to feel the results as quickly as you would a medication, so which I think what, what is what makes the medication so Well, what is the difference right? between like we're desperate. like meditation and mindfulness? I would think they're kind of one and the same, so I didn't know there would be a difference. Oh, meditation? I'm talking about medication, like pills. No, I know that. I'm just I'm asking another question. <laughs> okay, so the difference between mindfulness and meditation is the fact that mindfulness can be turned into a practice of meditation, which is more robust. So you're, use, you're starting with mindfulness, but then you're moving into some other area that you want to focus on and heal that you use the meditation for. But the mindfulness is the first step to get you into the meditative state of mind. So they kind of go together. And then there are, are certain types of meditations that are like just mindful and others that aren't. Okay. Hold that thought. I'm Samantha Stumpo, and you're listening to Tough as Nails on WBZ News Radio 1030. Sponsored by Newbrook Realty Group, Boston Wood, Smaller Insurance, World Auto Body, and Tosca Drive Auto Body. Welcome to Cindy Stumpo, the person that has no idea what mindfulness means. Is tough as nails on WBZ News Radio 10:30. I'm Samantha Stumpo here with Char Manning. Our topic tonight is what is mindfulness with Megan Kenny. Yes, I have a question for you, Megan. Why is the mind neglected so much? A lot of people want to automatically work on body, work on soul, but mind is neglected. Do you think it's because? The mind is so inward. It's not something that we can physically see. You know, we can physically know that that's the issue that's at hand. 
People neglect mind, even when it comes to mindful uh, mindfulness coaches or therapy. It's neglected. Why? Why is it neglected so much? Well, I mean, I think the mind is such a complex abyss. Like the, the way we started earlier was saying that like we only, you know, know or work with 10% of the mind. And I think, I think that speaks a lot to what you're saying. It's so dense. It is the apocalypse of the mind, which is, it's interesting. That's my teacher, the name of my teacher's book. So like, I think that just kind of captures all of this because she taught me everything I know about this. That sounds really scary. It really scary. is an abyss. <laughs> Right. It, it it does, but you know what's beautiful about an apocalypse is that there's a rebirth and, a, and, a, and an awakening that then a regeneration that happens after. So you go through the darkness, knowing that on the other side it's going to be better than ever. I think the reason why the mind gets neglected to this degree is because it's really our only vantage point that we have to filter this information in, and so we rely on the mind to be the navigator and to be the filter. And it's overworked, and sometimes it can actually filter out too many things, including parts of its own self. So filtering out the importance of what it means to focus on the mind is actually a function of the mind. So it's kind of like this, like, catch-22 of how the mind even works as to why we don't pay as much attention as to how the mind or the psyche actually operates. And I will say, in my area of practice, my area of practice is, like, even more of a niche area than even just the world of psychology, even the world of psychology is only going to focus on certain parts of the mind. And most of psychology looks at people that study what I study and say, like, you guys are crazy. Like, we get gaslit by people in our own field of, like, why are you studying all these layers of the, of the mind? Because we're missing, we're missing the mark if we don't understand the abyss of the mind and all the layers that go with it. So it's a very dense landscape and it requires a lot of responsibility to take all this information on because once we know all this stuff we kind of feel compelled to do something with it so not everybody's ready to like really know how deep the mind goes and so i think we avoid it but that's just because you're scared yeah so they they rather live in the unknown i had a client the other day that said to me this is a lot of work and i said yeah it is i said you're at you're at a, a a fork in the road coming to this realization because she said, can I just go back to being unconscious where like things were easier? Cause knowing all this information is kind of overwhelming. And I said, yeah, you can, you, you can stop right now and you can not go any further into this work and you can go back into the unconscious hole and just go with ignorance is bliss. Well, but I here's this, what's going to happen. I say this to my mom all the time. I was like, when I'm alone and not in a relationship, it's where I grow the most. It's where I feel the most secure. Therefore, I have a theory that if you're always constantly in a relationship, you never actually grow and figure out who you are as a person. Until you have that healthy relationship with yourself, you will never actually have a healthy relationship with somebody else. A hundred percent. Then you get to apply the healing in the relationship because relationships are meant to, to wound and heal, but not always that you're supposed to be in the relationship to heal, if that makes sense. But I think you know this idea of like going back to ourselves and doing that work. I mean, yeah, that's scary. And so what I said to my client, I was like, yeah, you can go back and be the ostrich and put your hand, head back in the sand, but here's what's going to happen. Once you hit like 55 or 60 and that Chiron return happens, which we've talked on the show about before, yeah. the universe is going to wake you up whether you like it or not. And so what's better? Ooh, that's for prepare. sure. You can prepare now and put the work in so you are conscious of what's going to happen and then therefore it doesn't affect you as bad. 
or you can take the next 20 years and go back to sleep and then get totally whipped by the universe so by the time it's actually time for you to wake up. Put the work in now or, you, or you're going to end up, you're, you rather what, ghost yourself? Pretty much. I mean, you're you're going to enter a crisis. I mean, you don't just get to just bury your head for your entire life. That's not how life works. And so this is why we have people explain this theory of like midlife crises and stuff. Because it's like, oh, my God, I'm living a life I don't want to live. What do I do now? I mean, this is like a regular occurrence. It seems like people are just afraid to be with just themselves in their own head. Yeah. And, And like we're describing today, the mind being this abyss. Being with yourself means you start to learn all of this stuff. But there's nothing wrong with who you are, though. You know what I mean? Just because you might have panic and anxiety or like a bad thought or a good thought, that doesn't make you doesn't make you a bad person. No, but it has like this bad connotation to want to be alone is like a scary thing for a lot of people. Would you think that most people that have panic and anxiety are afraid to be alone? It's possible. It's very possible. It's very possible because when they are alone, it's a scary place. So, yeah, it just only makes sense that they would want to run from that. And I think if we can start developing a different relationship with ourselves, this is when the healing really happens on a deep level in a sustainable way. But how do we get people there? Mindfulness to me is like healing 101. It is where you start. It also comes with like loving yourself. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you got to value yourself enough to give yourself this time and space to do this kind of work. You know, it's, it's not, it's not easy. And that's why my practice is focused on compassion because that perspective of having compassion allows you to open up and invite in all of this stuff, including the triggers to panic because you have somehow established within yourself that it is safe to allow it to come in and not put the walls up and block it out, which is actually what causes the, the panic attack to actually happen. So it's, it's this idea of what we would call in sensory motor psychotherapy, which is a type of therapy you guys can look up and explore if you, if you want to do this work more deeply, but it's this window of tolerance. So it's this window that exists that allows us to be more tolerant of the things that cause us to spiral and how do we increase that window and make it bigger so we can fit more in it that's the ultimate goal if someone's looking to find out more about mindfulness where are some resources they can go there's a guy in boston named john cabot zinn and he wrote the book on mindfulness, and he's, I believe, a researcher or a professor at UMass, I think. Um, he is sort of like the guru of mindfulness, and you can buy his book called Mindfulness for Beginners. And if you don't even want to go that route, you can go on YouTube and type in, like, guided mindfulness techniques or mindfulness meditation and just follow along, and that's a free way to do it. But you can you can also go and, and do a mindfulness course or hire a mindfulness coach. I mean, you can like do this on all. You can do this in therapy. You can find a, a therapist that uses mindfulness stress reduction techniques or whatever mindfulness based stress reduction. I think it's called. But John Cabot Zinn, and he's right in Boston. Um, he's the guy. He's the guy to look at some of his his work in in uh, in an easy way. Take in the word the the concept of mindfulness in a, in a way that's easily digestible. So, do you think people that have more mindfulness in their everyday lifestyle live a healthier lifestyle? 
Yes, and that is what the research reflects. Increased uh, um, overall well-being, increased satisfaction in life, increased self-control, increased emotional intelligence, which allows you to be more cognitively flexible. Why wouldn't more people want to feel that way? Okay, so this taps on something that I'm going to point people back to somebody's name that I mentioned earlier, Carolyn Mace. Her last name is spelled M-Y-S-S. She has a document, uh, documentary or docu-series on the Gaia channel called Why Don't People Heal? And she highlights why people don't heal. And it's because it's a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And people, I think, want to run from responsibility in a major way in our society today. So I think we all have this perception that everybody wants to heal and live this happy life. Maybe they want that end result, but once they find out the level of work that actually Cross has to go into that, they <laughs> run away. Work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. And that's why people won't go in this direction. That's why I'll have people come meet with me for a couple of sessions and then they don't show. They ghost me. They don't, they don't show back up. They're like, oh, I'll get back to you. And they drop out. Wow. So they don't really want to work in themselves. Absolutely not. They don't really want to heal. Yeah. Okay. I'm Samantha Stempo, and you're listening to Tough as Nails on WBZ News Radio 1030. Welcome back to Tough as Nails on WBZ News Radio 1030. I'm Samantha Stempo here with Char Manning. Tonight's topic, what is mindfulness with Megan Kenny? Megan, take the show away. All right, you guys, we've talked about a lot of stuff today. It can feel overwhelming to start exploring your own mind, but just know that there are support and resources out there available to you. You can reach out to me. Go to thirdrealmintegration.com, send me an email info at thirdrealmintegration.com. And uh, this is stuff that I research also. So if anybody's interested in becoming part of my research study, let's stay in touch. I'll come back on and discuss it. But I'm assessing this exact thing, how to be mindful and drop into the present moment and the benefits of it. Thank you to Megan Kenny for coming on the show. This is Tough as Nails, and I'm Samantha Stempo in WBZ News Radio 1030. See you next week. If you want to continue the conversation with Cindy Stempo, download Breakout. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.